We're going to be in Revelation chapters 17 and 18 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, get over to Revelation 17 and 18. About 10 years ago, one early morning, uh, my family and I uh, drove across town, went to Fuego on kind of the north side of campus, across from campus, and sat down to eat breakfast tacos. The reason we were there that particular morning was because we were there to watch the uh, Plaza Hotel be demolished. I don't know if anybody else was out there when they tore it down. Anybody else happened to be there when they, okay, a few people were there. Turns out there were thousands of people there. Relatively smallish town, not a lot of other entertainment early in the morning. And so thousands of people went to watch this building fall down. If you're not familiar with it, the Plaza Hotel stood at the corner of University Drive and Texas Avenue for like 60 years. It was there for a long time. It was built sometime in the 1950s or 60s. Uh, it, it was a lot of different things over the years. It was different hotels like a Ramada and different brands. At one point when I was in college, it was a private dorm called University Tower. Well, the time came around 2012 Uh, when they decided they were going to tear it down to make way for new development. So they put the word out in the papers and on the news that it was going to come down, I think, 6.30, 6.40 that morning. And so thousands of people from the community went out to watch this building fall down. I actually have a picture of it in the process of falling down. You can see all the people that are there uh, to watch it. Now, what was interesting, a couple of things. One is when the building started to fall, Everybody clapped and applauded, hooray, yay, and I thought that's interesting. You know, it's interesting to applaud as something is being destroyed. I think there were a couple reasons for that. One, again, it was just something to watch. It was like, yay, this is interesting, right, something to do. Uh, I also think, though, people are applauding because as the old building is torn down, we were aware that a new one was going to come up in its place, that this was progress. The old was going to be torn down to make way for the new. And there is a newer and nicer building on that property today. But the other thing that strikes me about this moment is that uh, it only took this building that had been standing for 60 some years, it only took this building nine seconds to fall to the ground. I don't know how long it took to build it, maybe months maybe years. They laid the foundation. They built it, I presume, floor by floor. It stood there for decades. And then when they hit that little, uh, you know, Wiley Coyote plunger or whatever it was, the building fell down in nine seconds, just a moment. It didn't take long. I thought, what a remarkable picture, something that has been standing for a generation to fall. In a second. In our passage this morning, we're going to watch a structure fall down. But it's not the structure of a single building. It's actually the structure of an entire society. An entire kingdom is going to fall to the ground. A kingdom that really has stood for generation after generation after generation. For thousands and thousands and thousands of years. We're going to see this kingdom fall in a single moment, in a day, the passage will say, in an hour. The kingdom that will fall, it's called in Revelation 17 and 18, the kingdom of Babylon. And really what it is, is it is simply the final embodiment of every kingdom that is opposed to the kingdom of God. 
So if you think about the world in which we live, our world, our society, our culture, it is built on certain structures. There's a political structure. There's a government. There's an economy, a financial structure. We buy and sell goods using currency or by trading. There's a religious structure. There are religious and philosophical and spiritual beliefs that permeate our society and our world. And throughout the centuries, ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, all of those structures, the political, the religious, the economic, they have had good elements, but they've also been shot through with sin. And in fact, as you trace the history of humanity, the reality is that often there is more evil than good in the systems of this world, that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but at their heart, most kingdoms are opposed to the kingdom of God. Most kingdoms, most cultures, most societies are cultures in which we, as sinful human beings, we say, I want to set myself up as God. Our cultures, our societies, our worlds are shot through with economic, political, and spiritual lies. What we're going to see as we get closer to the end of the book of Revelation is that in the final days of the tribulation period, we see the final embodiment of this kingdom opposed to God's kingdom, the Antichrist kingdom that is empowered by Satan himself, the final embodiment of all these kingdoms, these empires that have opposed God. It's all gonna come crashing down in just a moment. John's gonna see a vision where the religious structure and the economic structures of the world just come crashing down in a moment. And the reason for that is, and here's the spoiler alert for this morning, Jesus is about to come back. Revelation 19 through 22, Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to create an entirely new heavens and an entirely new earth. He's going to bring his kingdom. But in order for his kingdom to come, every other kingdom has to fall. In order for Christ's kingdom to be built, the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of Satan have to be destroyed. So we're going to see that in this passage as the kingdom of the enemy is described. And what's really remarkable is that right in the middle of John the Apostle watching Babylon fall, there's a command from heaven, from an angel in heaven to the people of God, to Christians like you and me. The command will say, come out of her, my people. Come out of Babylon so that you do not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. In other words, as the kingdoms of the world are falling, the religious systems that oppose Jesus Christ, the economic systems that try to set themselves up against the kingdom of God, as all of this is falling down, God issues a command from heaven through an angel. and He says, hey, people of God, people of Jesus, I don't want you to just go along with the flow in Babylon. In other words, I don't want you to compromise and assimilate your lives to the religious and economic and spiritual beliefs of your age. But instead, what I'm going to call you to do is to reject the gods of this world and build your life on Jesus. To build your life on Jesus and not on the gods of this world. This is a passage that is going to challenge every single one of us to ask where we place our hope. And we'll see in, in Babylon, 
as it's described in Revelation 17 to 18. We're going to talk about this in, in more detail this morning. But in this kingdom that opposes the kingdom of God, just like in every kingdom throughout history, every nation throughout history, every people group throughout history, there are a couple of places where we're tempted to root our hope other than in Jesus. One is false spirituality, false religion, the religions of this world, whether they are things like Islam or Buddhism or religions that oppose Christianity. We're tempted to root our hope in those. It might even be just cultural forms of our religion that allow us to maintain the illusion of control, false spirituality. But the other place we're tempted to place our hope is in materialism. Some people will say, uh, you know what, I reject all that spirituality stuff, but as long as I have enough money in the bank, I'll be okay. What we're gonna see in Revelation 17 and 18 is that it's all gonna come crashing to the ground so that anybody who has not built their life on the kingdom of Jesus is gonna be put to shame, is gonna experience loss, because you've invested in what won't last. So this passage is gonna ask us to look at our hearts. Because I know most of us in this room, you say, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died for my sins. Jesus rose from the dead. I believe I'm gonna be in the kingdom of God. I'm gonna go to heaven one day, and one day I will resurrect, and I will be a part of the new heavens and the new earth. So you say, I'm not sure if this applies to me. But remember that God is gonna say to us, I want you to constantly be uh, separating yourself from the religious and the economic and political idolatry of the age that you live in. Because even for people who know Jesus, we're tempted to trust in money. Even for people who know Jesus, we're tempted to buy the lies of the false spirituality of the world in which we live. So this is a reminder. Nothing will last but the kingdom of Jesus. This is where Revelation 17 and 18 is gonna take us. So follow with me as I begin in chapter 17, starting in verse one. John says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, <clears throat> with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. So I read that passage and I realize some of you are like, okay, it's not yet lunchtime. This is pretty intense. So let me kind of walk through. It is intense. But I want to remind you of where we are in the flow of the book. Here's what's going on. As John sees this vision of this woman, this woman we're going to see, she represents this global religious system that it seems like is going to emerge during this final seven-year tribulation period. 
But the religion that she represents has things in common with every false religion throughout history. And so as John is watching the destruction of Babylon, this is a reminder again to the people of God. Don't participate in the lies of the spirituality of your age. So the first thing that we're going to see in this passage is run away from every false religion. That that every religion that is not consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ, every other religion, every other religious belief, every other form of spirituality that is not the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not actually an attempt to get to God. It's a rejection of the truth of God's word. And so the scripture will say, run away from it. Now, where we are in the flow of the book of Revelation, remember, we're in this seven-year tribulation period. And if you remember last week, we concluded the final series of judgments, of major judgments in the book, the bowl judgments. There were the seal judgments, and then there were the trumpet judgments, and then there were the bowl judgments. And you may remember the seventh bowl that we talked about right at the end of chapter 16. There's a huge earthquake on the earth, and and the earth is split apart. Cities are are breaking apart, and there's a giant hailstorm. And right in the midst of all of this going on, uh, chapter 16, verse 19, John says, Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And so the last of the bold judgments is this judgment on this great city, this great empire, this great kingdom of the Antichrist and of the false religion that follows in his wake. And so in chapter 17, an angel comes to John and he says, hey, come here, I wanna show you who Babylon is. I wanna show you what this kingdom is that God is now judging and destroying to make way for the kingdom of Jesus. And so here's what John sees. He sees this woman and she's described as a harlot, as a prostitute. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. But she is, is riding on top of the beast, who we know is the Antichrist. So she's both carried along by the Antichrist and by his kingdom. Her religion is propped up by the Antichrist's kingdom in some respect. Maybe after the rapture and the chaos of all of these tribulation judgments, people are looking for spiritual comfort. And so her false religion steps in the gap. She's dressed in a wealthy way, purple and scarlet, Uh, the colors both of royalty and of wealth, and she has blasphemous names written on her head. And it says all the kings of the earth participate with her in her immorality, her uncleanness. Now she's described as a prostitute, as a harlot, largely because as as you read through the scripture, false religion, idolatry, is often described as adultery, as spiritual adultery, and spiritual prostitution. And the reason is because to run after gods other than the one true God is to be unfaithful to the God who made you, the God who bought you with the blood of Jesus Christ. It is specifically in this case described not only as adultery, but also as prostitution because the false religions of the world, and this is where her religion has some things in common with every other religion that has ever existed except Christianity because the false religions of the world are always transactional. They are always based on this sort of a model. I will do things for God. I will give offerings. I will give devotion. I will give good works. I will do something for God, and God will give me something in return. 
God will give me the life that I want. God will give me eternal life if I am good enough, if I give enough devotion, enough honor, enough stuff to him. It is a transactional relationship. And so as you read through the Old Testament, false religion and idolatry is often described as harlotry. For example, in the book of Hosea, Chapter 4, my people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them, for a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. Now, remember, the book of Hosea is actually an extended metaphor in which Hosea's wife becomes unfaithful to him and lives as a prostitute. And in the metaphor, in the description of Hosea, she represents unfaithful Israel, the way that Israel has gone after the gods of the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Canaanites all throughout their history. They say, what God will give us what we want, whether it's money, whether it's security, the life that we want, if we just make the right sacrifices, build the right little shrine, and do all the right things. Probably the most relevant passages on this topic of spiritual adultery and spiritual harlotry are in Ezekiel 16 and Ezekiel 23, which I'm not gonna read this morning because they are graphic to the point of being shocking. As Ezekiel describes the adultery of the people of God as they chase after false Religion. This language is meant to be shocking. It's meant to hit you in the gut. Sometimes visual imagery like this can drive a point home in a way that nothing else can. A powerful metaphor of this woman as a rich and arrogant harlot who leads people away from God. It hits you in the gut. That type of metaphor is sometimes necessary to get the point across. Think about it this way. If you're of a certain age and I simply say the words, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, you have an image in your mind, right? That fried egg comes straight into your mind. Now, we laugh at it a little bit now, but at the time, that imagery packed a punch. I don't want my brain to be a fried egg, right? That's what happens. You remember it because the imagery is vivid and shocking. That's why this, this vision of John, she's described in these vivid and shocking terms. But I don't want us to lose the, the key point here. And it is every religion apart from the gospel is a religion in some respect that says, if I do for God, God will do for me. It is a transactional, works-based type of religion. If you were here several weeks ago during our Go Week, uh, some of us went to the presentation Into the Buddhist Mind. Uh, we had a missionary come who had spent decades serving in a Buddhist context, uh, sharing the gospel with Buddhist men and women. And he described their process of what's called merit-making, where Buddhist men and women, they will bring offerings to the temple, fruit or cash or things that are important to them. They'll bring them to their temple and they will offer them to the priest who will then say a prayer on their behalf to their ancestors, the spirits of their ancestors. And they make these offerings, why? So that the spirits of their ancestors will look favorably upon them and give them a successful business 
the child that they long for in the midst of their infertility, the child that they want to be healthy who is sick, the restoration of a marriage, a bank account that is whole. They offer to the gods and the gods give back to them. Islam, very similarly, if you obey and you do the right things throughout all of your life, Allah might look kindly enough upon you to allow you into his kingdom, not because he is merciful and loving, but because you have done well enough to earn his favor if you're fortunate when you stand in his presence. Every other system is a system that says, I do for God, God does for me. So here's this woman that emerges in the tribulation, this religious system. And she's kind of a conglomeration of all of the false religious systems throughout history that says you can have what you want if you'll just obey what I tell you. If you'll just keep these commandments, make these offerings. And so John sees this vision. And what we're gonna see is that this this woman is gonna be destroyed. The rest of chapter 17 describes again the Antichrist. And remember, the Antichrist is this uh, seventh head. His kingdom is this seventh head. There were five that have already come and gone. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Five kingdoms, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. Excuse me. And then Rome was the one that was existent at the time of John. And then there's a kingdom to come, which represents the Antichrist's kingdom. And so she rises with his kingdom. But he also has these 10 crowns that represent 10 kings. And in chapter 17, verse 16, it says, the 10 horns, that is these 10 kings which you saw, and the beast, that is the Antichrist. These will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be Fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So at some point in the tribulation, the Antichrist and his kings are going to turn on this false religious system. And they're going to say, we don't want her around anymore. We don't want that around anymore. Not because they're trying to honor God, but because they want all the worship to turn toward them. The Antichrist wants all the worship to come toward him. And we'll see in a moment, what he's going to do is he's going to do away with religion and he's going to build a foundation of materialism. He's going to say, we're not for all that spiritual gobbledygook. You don't need all that stuff. That stuff doesn't work. All those incantations, all of those offerings, all those religious rituals, that's all nonsense. What you need is cold, hard cash. You need a kingdom of stuff, tall buildings, and luxury, and money in the bank account. But again, this passage is going to challenge us first to say, all false religion is, is a way to try to elevate ourselves above God, to say, I don't want to receive the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The gospel is the only belief system in the world in which we have a God who gives us eternal life, not as a transaction, but as a free gift. That Jesus Christ, and he died in our place for what we could not do and rose from the dead to give us eternal life. 
What is the first person in the book of Revelation that John sees? It's Jesus Christ standing, how? As a lamb slain and risen again. The foundation of the book of Revelation is the gospel. And so every other religious system has to fall. Now, I wanna say this uh, for just a moment because uh, most of you are in the room and you're thinking, well, I'm not Muslim, I'm not Buddhist, I'm not Hindu, I'm a Christian, that's why I'm in this room. But the truth is that if we're honest, often the spiritual beliefs of our culture can creep into our own hearts. We can be deceived. You know, the, the fastest growing segment of Christianity around the world right now is what's called the prosperity gospel, where I, I pray well enough, I, I do enough stuff, I I'm a good enough Christian and God will give me financial security, security for my kids, the house or the car or the thing that I long for. It's exploding around the world because there's something in our sinful hearts that likes the idea of I can be in control of my own salvation. For many of us, you may say, well, I don't, I don't really follow that. That's why I'm here at, at Grace Bible Church, right? But it may be that in your heart on a day-to-day basis, you have a mindset simply that says, if I'm a good Christian, then my kids shouldn't struggle. My marriage should be the way I want it. My job should be working. My business should be growing. My 401k should be thriving. If I'm doing all this stuff for God, God, I do all these things. I pray, I read the Bible. I attend Grace Bible Church 75% of the time. And usually I'm at the nine o'clock. I just came to 11 today because I wanted to sleep a little bit, right? So I, I really, I do really good stuff. Why isn't God rewarding me? Right, and you see how the lies of our culture spiritually can creep into our hearts. And so God shows John, hey, every false religious system is gonna fade away, so don't buy into it. You, you root your feet on the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of his kingdom. Run away from false religious systems that are opposed to God because they're gonna fall. Chapter 18 then, like I said, the Antichrist is gonna destroy false religion and he's gonna say what we need instead is materialism. No more spiritual world, let's dive headfirst into materialism. And so chapter 18 is gonna say, you need to run away from false religion, false spirituality, but you also need to run away from materialism. Again, because all the great cities of the world, all the great empires, all the tall buildings have to give way to the kingdom of God. Look at chapter 18. I'm gonna read the first several verses. John says, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Now let me pause there for a second. When I read that this week, I was like, okay, unclean spirits, demons, hateful birds, does that stick out to you as strange? What is a hateful bird? Well, as I, as I read it, it began to make more sense. What is a hateful bird? Well, the first image that comes to my mind are all those grackles that hang out around the Kroger next to Rock Prairie. Those are hateful birds. 
Because whenever I drive into the parking lot, it's like a post-apocalyptic scene from like an old Alfred Hitchcock movie. Like those birds, I hate them. I think they hate me as well. That's a hateful bird. But probably more likely what it's referring to are carrion birds, like vultures. When you see a vulture, what comes into your mind is death and devastation. We tend to want to stay away from them. They give, they give our stomach a, a, an icky feel. I was walking our dog in our neighborhood a couple of months ago, and I walked under a tree, and suddenly the dog jumped and barked up at the tree and then ran ahead, and, and I was like, what is going on? Is there a squirrel, whatever? And I looked up, and about 10 or 15 feet above me was a large vulture just sitting in the tree. And uh, it probably wasn't going to get me. As far as I could tell, I felt very lively. I was walking pretty fast. But I didn't want to take the chance. So we hustled along because something about that bird gave me a ugh type of feeling. That's the imagery. I want you to think about this. He says, there's this great empire, this great city, Babylon the Great, full of gold and silver and precious stones and scarlet and purple, all of this wealth. Now there's tumbleweeds and vultures feeding on bodies and demons roaming the streets. The great city has now fallen. Why? Verse three, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back even as she has paid and give her back, give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow and will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. Notice her pride. Notice her self-glory. I sit as a queen and not as a widow. Why does she say that? In the ancient world, widowhood was a surefire path to economic ruin and financial vulnerability. And so this harlot who establishes her city as a queen now, she says, I'm a queen. I'm not a widow. I'll never fall. I'll never experience economic hardship. The 401k is full to the brim. The cities are gleaming and shining. The business is thriving. The money's in my pocket. My kids and my grandkids and great-grandkids are secure for generations. I have everything I need. Now I will eat and drink and be merry. And then it says, for this reason, in one day, the structure's gonna fall. It's all going to fall down from wealthy to nothing left, from proud to humiliated. And the passage, again, in the midst of it, it says, hey, my people, my people, come out of her. Don't participate in her sins. If you are rooting the hope of your life, in your economic prosperity, in having enough in the bank, 
in the financial security of your family, if that's where your hope is, just know it all will fade away to make way for the kingdom of Jesus. Some of you probably read this uh, over the course of the week. One of the largest cryptocurrency exchange banks, FTX, failed completely, went bankrupt over the course of this past week. And the uh, CEO, I think his name is Sam Bankman-Fried, as of this time last week, he was worth $16 billion, billion with a B. Today, he's worth zero dollars. It all fell apart overnight. Now, you may have read that or heard that just now, and you thought, well, I could have told him not to invest in that crypto stuff. It's not real in the first place, right? Fair enough. But what is Revelation 18 saying? Hey, if you take a long view of history, men and women, all of it's just as worthless as crypto. All your storehouses of cash, all of the stuff you've invested in materially, it's not going to last. It doesn't mean we don't need homes. That doesn't mean we don't need food. That doesn't mean we don't need clothing. doesn't mean 401ks are wrong. It doesn't mean that having a job that pays you for what you do is wrong. But what it does mean is recognize in the final analysis, the only true riches that will last are those that are invested in the kingdom of God. Because one day it's all going to be gone. And so you see that in this passage, Babylon, this great city, the kingdom of the earth, It's wealthy and it's exalted and it's proud. And then look at verse nine, what happens. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore, cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and everything nice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses, and chariots, and slaves, and human lives. Pretty comprehensive. The fruit you long for is gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great wealth has been laid waste, and every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor And as many as make their living by the sea stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, she has been laid waste. It stood for generations. It falls in an hour. Babylon here is the final embodiment of every spiritual or economic system that set it up 
itself up against God. You may remember Babylon itself was actually the sixth century kingdom, empire that conquered the nation of Judah and led them into exile, filled with idolatry, filled with immorality, but opulent and rich. It's in present-day Iraq. The empire is gone. And I don't know whether this vision indicates that literal Babylon will one day be restored, but it is clear that the spirit of Babylon in the empire of the Antichrist in the kingdom of Satan will launch one final stand. But in a moment in time, it's all going to fall. All the wealth, all the goods, all the gold, the silver, the precious stones, the marble, the bronze, the iron, goes our granite counters and fine homes and rich bank accounts. It all falls down. And so what, what, is, what is this vision telling us then? You can build your life on stuff that is only going to fade away. Or you can build your life on stuff that will last. You know what's really remarkable? We're, we're getting to the end of the book, and we're going to see in chapters 21 and 22, the new heavens and the new earth as the kingdom of God in heaven descends to earth. And you know what you're going to see in the new heavens and the new earth? You know this. You've read the passage before. You're going to see... Gold and precious stones and wealth beyond imagining. It's not that God is against gold and precious stones and wealth beyond imagining. It's just that he wants us to have wealth that will last forever and not the wealth rooted in the kingdoms of this world. Where's your hope? Where's your trust? I doubt anybody in this room is worth $16 billion. But maybe you're worth a few thousand, 10,000, 20,000, maybe a couple hundred thousand, maybe a million, two million. Here's the question. If it was all gone tomorrow, could you still rejoice that you have an eternal inheritance in the kingdom of God? Because one day it will all fade away. The old has to be torn down to make way for the kingdom of God. And as the people of Jesus, the Spirit of God, in Revelation and throughout history is calling us, I want you to daily, you, you tear down those kingdoms in your own heart to make way for the kingdom of God. Build your life on what will last, what will last. You build your life on Jesus. You build your life on his kingdom. Verse 20 of chapter 18 says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And then you see a strong angel picks up a millstone and tosses it into the sea and says, That's Babylon the Great. Come and gone in a moment because she in her arrogance, in her violence, in her wealth, in her spiritual lies oppressed and killed the people of God and opposed the kingdom of God and she's going to fall. And the people of God, and we'll see this around the throne of God, they're going to see that structure collapse and they're going to go, hooray. We rejoice 
chapter 19. We're going to get into chapter 19 in full detail next week. <clears throat> but as the kingdom of Babylon is falling, there's what's called the fourfold hallelujah. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. John says, After these things, I heard something like the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. And he's avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rises up forever and ever. And then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down. And they say it again, Amen. <coughs> Hallelujah. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, hallelujah, for our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Why are they singing a hallelujah? Because the kingdom of this world gives way to the kingdom of Jesus. The old is torn down. The religious lies, the materialistic lies, the political violence, all gives way to the kingdom of God. Where's your hope rooted? I wanna share with you a story very quickly. Some of you know this about our family. It was about four years ago. It was around this time of year, just a few weeks before Christmas. Uh, I woke up one night in the middle of the night to use the restroom, and as I stepped out of uh, the bed onto the floor, uh, the carpet was real squishy and wet underneath my feet. And... Uh, uh, you know, I thought that's, that's not normal, but, you know, maybe kind of in my foggy state, I was like, maybe there was some sort of problem with the dog or something like that that I'm going to need to clean up. Uh, so I kind of walked a little further toward the living room, and I noticed that the squishiness was at least all the way through our room. And in fact, as I walked toward the living room, it was getting deeper. And I walked out into the living room, and, and then I saw that it, it was the entire house. The entire house was under several inches of water that I had woken up to in the middle of the night. And what had happened was a pipe burst underneath the house and just flooded everything while we were sleeping. And uh, so we had to move out for several weeks while it was all dried out and repaired. We, had a, we lost a lot of stuff. We had to throw away a lot of stuff. I remember taking our Christmas tree, the live Christmas tree that we had bought as a family, and I dragged it to the curb, and I dumped it there because we couldn't risk it catching on fire in this process. And I remember dropping it on the curb and the memories that were associated with getting it. And I remember seeing the things that were devastated and destroyed and feeling this deep sense of sadness and then, of course, in the wake of it, many friends from the church, they were encouraging, they were helpful. Uh, people came and showed up and helped us clean and all of that. But we also heard a lot of stories because anytime something bad happens to you, somebody else has a story of something worse that happened to them. I don't know if you realize that. So I heard all the stories of other people's homes who had flooded or caught on fire or things that they had lost. And there's a certain type of grief that it creates in your heart. And I realized a lot of this grief was springing from a place of a longing for some kind of place where that didn't happen. Some kind of home where the stuff can't be destroyed. Where your house doesn't attack you in the middle of the night and ruin your things. Right in the middle of that, somebody uh, directed us toward a, a great book. It's called Every Moment Holy. It's just various 
liturgies you can read with your family. And there actually is one in there called a liturgy for those who suffer loss from fire, flood, or storm. And it begins like this. O Christ, in whom our lives are hidden, fix now our hope in that which alone might sustain it. O Christ, in whom our treasures are secure, fix now our hope in you. In light of all that was so suddenly lost, O Lord, in light of all that we had gathered but could not keep, comfort us. Our nerves are frayed, O God. Our sense of place and permanence is shaken. So be to us a foundation. Further down, it says, let us not lose sight of the truth that we live in the midst of an unfolding story of redemption. And that even this loss of ours, listen to this, even this loss of ours will have its counterpoint at the great restoration. All the losses for the people of God will be restored. But if you're placing your hope, your life, your trust in kingdoms that are going to fall, in prosperity that isn't going to last forever, in some form of spirituality that makes you feel a degree of comfort but is at odds with the gospel, just know it's all going to fall down. Where are we building our lives? Where are we building our hope? I want to offer three quick procedures, three quick ways to apply this as we we close. First, I just want to encourage all of us, take a daily inventory of your heart. When you wake up in the morning, as you walk through your day, say, God, where are the places where I find myself falling in love with the things and the kingdoms and, and the beliefs of this world, where I find myself wanting to accommodate, to go along, to get along, or to accumulate, to feel secure apart from Jesus Christ, or to run and do believing that God will do back for me. Take an inventory of your heart. Where are your loves? Where are your affections? Remind yourself of what will last. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If your treasure is in the kingdom of God, that's where your heart will be also. So remind yourself of what will last. If you lost it all tomorrow, Could you say, hallelujah, for the Lord God reigns. His kingdom is forever. And then thirdly, say, God, I want to prioritize your kingdom and your glory over everything else. I want my hope, my family's hope, my heart's direction to be rooted in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God gave to us eternal life, and participation in his kingdom as a free gift. Can't be bought with money. Can't be bought with works. Can't be bought with offerings. But it's a free gift to enter a kingdom that will last forever. That when the old kingdom falls, we can applaud because something better is coming. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, we pray, reorient our hearts to trust in you. Lord, we confess that often 
We're tempted by the beliefs and the idols of our world. We pray that even in our own hearts, you would topple our reliance upon kingdoms and religious lies and materialism that would set us in opposition to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let us root our hope in Jesus Christ alone and in his kingdom where we know we will be forever in a city with foundations that will never fail and never crumble. We pray this in Jesus' name.